And so today we're starting a, a new series called Life Rhythms. Uh, and I just kind of a little backdrop about the series. You know, have you ever felt frustrated with your, with your Christian experience? Right? That you, you come to church and you do the things that they tell you to do or the pastor tells you to do, like go to church, which you're here, so great job. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> read your Bible, pray, seems to be like the big three. Uh, you know, go to church, read your Bible, pray, and, and things should start happening. You know, you, you should start seeing your, your life begin to change. And, um, and I felt like for a long time in my life, uh, you know, that, that just wasn't the case. You know, I was, I was going to church, I was, I was reading my Bible, I was praying the best that I, I knew how to pray, and it didn't seem to work. And I think the disciples had the same frustrations in their life. Because they asked Jesus, there was really one thing they really wanted to know from Jesus, was, was teach us how to pray. Now these were Jewish men, they knew how to pray. They'd been taught how to pray since they were kids. But they wanted to pray the way that Jesus prayed. Because when he started praying, stuff happened, right? Like he calmed the, the, the waves and the wind and, and dead people were getting out of the grave and, and lame people were walking and there were miracles and signs that were, and so it wasn't so much teach us how to pray, Jesus, but when you pray, stuff happens. And when we pray, it doesn't seem like it happens. And so how do we, how do we pray effectively? And so in this series, what I want to do is we're, we're going to stick in the four gospels and the four gospels are basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's biography of Jesus their experience, what they've seen in his life. You know, a lot of times we, when we read the Bible, we read it for information or theology, which are, is really good. We need to have sound theology. But, but theology that doesn't affect our psychology, the way that we think and live, it's just, a, it's, just some, it's just words. And so I know for a long time, that's the way I kind of approached the Bible. I read it, and I read it for information. I wanted to learn but, but I want to challenge us over the next couple of weeks, and this is a series that we're going to go through all the way to Palm Sunday. As we look through the Gospels, I want us to read them together as a, bi a biography of the life of Jesus. If you've ever read a biography, um, uh, there's one I really love called Seven Great Men by Eric McTaxis. And it's like George Washington and Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Chuck Colson, and he, he writes a biography of these men. And, and in, this bio, in a biography, if you've read one, you, you realize, like, you know, what they ate. <laughs> and if they took afternoon naps, come on, somebody, you know, and, 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 and where they went and where they would hang out, what was their lifestyle like? Not so much what they said or what they did, but what produced the life of a great person. And I think in the, in the Gospels, when we boil it all down and we, and we look at it from that perspective, there's some things that really rise to the top that, that Jesus, they were, these were rhythms in his life, rhythms. If, if you've been raised in church for a while, you've probably heard of disciplines or church disciplines. If you came from a more traditional church, Catholic or um, you know, that type of background, you know what church disciplines are that these are traditions that have been passed down from, you know, for thousands of generations. It's, it's how we practice our faith. And I'm, I'm seeing, and this is just my opinion, that a lot of the traditions that have been passed down, Jesus didn't really do. And some of the traditions are man-made, right? You've probably experienced that. 
And so I want us to look at the Gospels and, and, and look at the rhythm of Jesus' life and what were some things, that, what, were, what was he doing, how did he live, where did he go, what was his calendar like, how did he set his schedule, what were these rhythms in his life. And a rhythm, just to define it, is a strong, regular, repeated pattern. Everything in life, God created the world to be upheld by rhythms. When he created the world, he said the, the sunshine, the day, right? When it suns out, it's day. And when it's night, it's night. And it's a rhythm. It's to, you know, it, it, the whole world circulates by a rhythm. Your watch right now, if you have one on, is running to the rhythm. It's, it sets its pace by the rhythm of the solar system. It's the, the rotation of the earth. If that got off, the watch wouldn't be much good. Everything's on a rhythm. When you were born, the first thing that that doctor did was probably checked you out, made sure you had 10 fingers and 10 toes and two ears and all that stuff. But then they laid you on the chest of your mother. Why? Because a child recognizes the rhythm of his mother's heartbeat or her mother's heartbeat. And everything is, is based on a rhythm. The Gulf of Mexico is, is on a rhythm. It's high tide, it's low tide. It's high tide, it's low tide. It, it happens every single day. Right now, there's 11 systems that basically makes your body and what you're experiencing in this, in this body. One of the most important ones is your circulatory system. And your heart is beating at a specific rhythm. I didn't know how important that was until like the first of last year. And I, I woke up in, in the middle of the night and I felt something was going on in my, in my chest. It's like tension and, and it was not good. And I, it kind of spooked me. So I went to the doctor and they hooked me up to all these machines and, and they found out that my rhythm was off. And they called it a right bundle branch block. And like every couple of beats, my, my right aorta wasn't shutting all the way. I didn't know that was, it was that important. But if you have a beat in your heart, that mi if you miss a beat, you know it, right? Everything's set to a specific rhythm. Jesus, when he came, he came in a rhythm. He did things repeatedly. It's not stated in the Gospels, like this is what Jesus did, this is how. But when we read between the lines, we, we see that, that there's, there's a rhythm to his life. If something happens to you right now, if you were to, 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 to just plunk out and go, you know, like pass out, the first thing a doctor or a nurse would do would put their fingers on your wrist and check your heartbeat in that rhythm to make sure that it was strong. And in the life of a believer, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to follow these rhythms. That it's, it's really more, and I'm glad, you're at, I'm glad you're here at church today, and I think that's a, a good rhythm but there were some things that Jesus did in his life, these rhythms that were a part of his life, and, and, and they often go unnoticed. That a good rhythm is a sign of health. A good spiritual rhythm is a sign of health. Jesus did these things over, and you can call them disciplines, systems, patterns, whatever you want to call it. We're going to call it rhythms. And, and this is going to be our, our theme verse. And again, Jesus is speaking to a group of people just like, just like we're living in today, in a world just like we're living in today. These people had stressors. They had stuff going on. They had jobs to do. They had, they had problems at home. They, they, they were all facing the weight of life. And, and this was Jesus. He was giving them advice on how to live. Live life to the fullest. And I'm going to read it in the paraphrase version, Matthew 11. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. 
Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. How? I'm going to show you how to take a real rest, how to, how to walk with me and work with me. So he's, he's not inviting them to learn a system of beliefs. He's inviting them to watch his life and to study his life. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so just, just for a moment, let's put it into context. Now, he's not speaking to, uh, to a group of people at a monastery that are praying for a living. He's speaking to people just like me and you that have jobs, that have families, that are running things, and they're tired. Not only are they tired because of what they have to do, they're tired because of a lot of the burdens that organized religion was putting on them in that day. Almost made it impossible to serve God. They came to church and got more rules. They came to church and got more burdens. So they, they had a lot of stressors. I don't know if they had communist balloons floating around, but I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they did, uh, but, but uh, I doubt it. Uh, but they had real problems. Like there was real things going on in their life that they could have been really stressed about. And, and, and what Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't offer them an escape. He doesn't say, hey, let's go buy 100 acres and build a big fence and just ride this thing out till we die. He gives them equipment. He gives them equipment. And he does it not by listing it. He does it by saying, watch me. Look at the way that I live. Watch how I do it. Doesn't give them information. He just invites them to study his life. The word Christian is not in the Bible. You know, that came several hundred years after after Christ walked the earth. In the early, early days, they called Christians the followers of the way. They just followed Jesus, if that made you a Christian. And that meant you, you, you did your best to, to live the way that Jesus lived. You did your best to just copy his behavior, to mimic what he would do. You know, we, we have these, these bracelets that got super popular, like what would Jesus do? And it's almost frustrating sometimes, you know what I mean? But, because it's really hard to do what Jesus did. It's really hard to turn the other cheek. Come on, somebody. It's really hard if somebody steals your shirt to give them your coat. It's really hard to forgive somebody when they were wrong and they don't even care what they did and, and, and they haven't asked for forgiveness, right? It's really hard to just let things go. It's really hard to just leave your past in the past because it seems to always just show up, right? And so this invitation to follow Jesus was, you know, it's really frustrating to do the things that Jesus did if we're not copying his behavior. And in the book of John, which I think is one of the best books to, that really gives us an insight into the, the way that Jesus lived, his calendar, his schedule, who he hung out with, what was important to him. He makes seven statements in that book about himself, and they're, they're known as the I am statements. And they kind of all build on each other. He says things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He says, says things like, I'm the light of the world. He says, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the good shepherd. Right? I'm, I'm your pastor is basically what he says. I'm the good shepherd and, and my sheep know my voice. Things like, I'm the door. Nobody gets into heaven except through me. Big, bold, audacious statements about himself. Basically saying that, hey, I am God. <laughs> In the last statement of the seven, 
The first four were, were to crowds. The last three were to his disciples. And the last two were the upper room discourse. So it was just his close friends. And he makes this statement about himself. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. You're going to turn the other cheek. You're going to forgive and you're, you're, you're going to do great things for God's kingdom. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's bold. Now what does he mean by that? Now this is where this comes into practice here. And so when he's talking about vines and, and, and branches, I'm not a horticulturist, right? I've, but I do grow some stuff. Uh, I like growing, not like bad stuff. <laughs> What do I look? Come on, y'all. We're in church. Ah, wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like a home garden, okay? Herbs, the kind that you cook with, um, tomatoes and vegetables and stuff. I've never, I've never grown any grapes, but I wanted to use this as an illustration because Jesus, I think, is trying to take us in here and teach us something. I'm the vine. And you're the branches. And, and the thing about a vine or a branch is that he's calling us the branches is, is branches don't have any kind of trunk. They don't have a support system. My mom, she, she had these passion flowers growing at her house as a, as a, when I was a kid. It was called the passion flower. It's like a cross on it. It's a vine. So any kind of vine, grapes, if you've ever been to a, a winery or ever, you know, ever been out west and seen those, those massive um, you know, plantations where they grow grapes. And that's, that's really what Jesus is alluding to. The thing about these plants and these vines specifically, now Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the vine, you're, you're the branch, you gotta stay in me. There's no way for this thing to grow much bigger than it is now without some kind of support system underneath it. Some kind of structure, some kind of rhythm you can put a vine in the ground and it can be good seed in good soil and you can water it every day and you can put fertilizer on it. But if you don't have a trellis to hold it up, it's just going to grow out and it's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually die. And what I want you to see here is that these life rhythms of Jesus, these things that the way that he lived is the trellis to our spiritual life. It's what holds us up, that when we hit a crisis and when things happen in our life, we fall back to the level of our trellis, of our systems, our life rhythms that, that we've been practicing and that we've been walking through every single day, not once a month, not a couple times a year. And, and there's been a lot of these passed down from generation to generation. There's a lot of the different, you know, what I would call rhythms that the church has passed down and we know the big ones right reading the bible prayer coming to church but i think you can do those things and it doesn't always produce the fruit that we need in our life and to go a little bit deeper and this is what we're going to do over the next six weeks is is we're going to look at the life of jesus and study his rhythms and i want to break it up into two categories he had rhythms of routine these were things that he did constantly you see it over and over and over in the Gospels. And then he had rhythms of restraint. And that's going to start on Ash Wednesday for all my Catholic folks. These were things that he abstained from. And it was that, it was that lifestyle 
that produced the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he was inviting us and his disciples in to live. And so I want to give them to you today. We're going to go through them over the next couple of weeks. But the first rhythm of routine that Jesus had, solitude. That was a big part of Jesus' life. We see it in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Oftentimes, right? So Luke is studying the life of John, but he says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. The disciples noticed it, but they didn't know why he did it. There, there would be a crowd gathered around the Sea of Galilee. Hey, Jesus, all these people need you right now. They're all here for you. And he would say, hey, let's go on the boat and, and go to the other side. He wasn't hanging out in the crowds. He, always, he constantly disappeared. If, as we read through the Gospels together, we're going to study this next week. There was, con- there was several times where the disciples were like, where's Jesus? Like, we, we got the service, he was, you know, it starts at 11, uh, he's supposed to be speaking, and we don't know where he is, uh, you know, like, like, there's all these people lined up to see him, and he's on a mountain, he got in a boat, went to the other side, he's in a garden, solitude, now there's a difference between solitude and isolation, right, the devil likes to isolate people, solitude is what we do as Christians to hear the voice of God, that's what I believe Jesus was. It was, soli- it was in those moments of solitude where, where he got his marching orders from his father. The second, second rhythm of, of routine in Jesus' life was surrender. Surrender. There was multiple times where Jesus would come up onto a situation and there, there was the crowd was pressuring him to go right, but he said, I got to go left. Or the disciples are heading to Jerusalem and the quickest way to go to Jerusalem is not through Samaria, but he said, I got to go through Samaria. Why? Because he was constantly surrendering his will over to his fathers. He says it like this. John chapter 5, Verily I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And so there were things in in the life of Jesus that his father asked him to do that he didn't want to do. The Garden of Gethsemane is a really good example of that. Where here he is and he's praying with his group of friends and he knows what's coming and and he prays his prayer. Father, if, if, if there's any way that I can get around this, if you can take this cup from me, please. Don't want to do this. Don't want to stay in this job. Don't want to stay committed to this relationship. Don't want to keep going through this. Don't want to keep getting persecuted because of my faith. I mean, I keep standing for the right things, and it seems like I get opposed even stronger. But then he says, it's not my will, right? He surrenders it, but yours be done. This this upheld the life of Jesus. This was a rhythm of the life in his life. We see it over and over and over. The third rhythm of routine that we see in his life is service. The world tells you, like, you know, the more people that you have serving you, the more powerful you are. The disciples thought that way when it was getting time for, for Jesus to, 
to, to, to go to the cross. They wanted to know, hey, who's going to be like the CFO and who's going to be the CEO when you're out of here? And, and when are you going to establish your kingdom? You know, when are you going to set up your cabinet? And when can we have these board meetings and get this thing going and, and, and get this organized? And, and Jesus said, no, it's, it's not like that. It's actually the greater you are, the more people you serve. He says it like this, Matthew 20, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a, as a ransom for many. And so Jesus had places in his life where he was giving back. He was serving. Where, where am I serving? Where am I giving back? Rhythms of routine. This was not something he did once a year or a couple times when it was convenient, but this was a, a deep part of his life. Now, the, the rhythms of restraint, separation. The disciples really wanted to be liked by people. The disciples didn't understand how Jesus, the Son of God, could come to this earth and people could not stand him, would persecute him, talk about him. And Jesus would say things like this, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world doesn't like you. He didn't compromise with culture. He had a whole different set of moral beliefs, and the moral compass that Jesus lived by was not the moral compass of that day. And that's going to be a hard one. It's real quiet. But we're, we're going to talk about that. Separation. He, he, you know, he, he called his disciples to himself, and there was a separation that happened. Here's another rhythm of restraint. Secrecy. I don't know if y'all can see this or not. He didn't tell everybody his business. <laughs> right? He would do things like he would heal someone and say, hey, by the way, don't tell anybody. He didn't hand him his business card and be like, hey, go down to Samaria and pass these out at the coffee shop for me. Let everybody know what I did. Like, like it was the opposite. Didn't want anybody to know what he was doing. Uh, like, not only that, he, he encouraged private prayer. And y'all correct me if I'm wrong because I'm wrong a lot. But I haven't found one recorded prayer of Jesus in a synagogue in the New Testament. He prayed in private. He prayed in nature. He went on the mountaintop and prayed in a garden. I can't find one recorded time where Jesus was praying in a synagogue. It, it was his private life that made him powerful in public. And then not only that, he demonstrated what we, what we know as doing life in community. I mean, he was the son of God, right? He didn't really need anybody's help. But he pulled these three guys close to him, Peter, James, and John. And they got to see him cry. And they got to see him suffer. And he shared things with, with, with those three guys that he didn't share with anybody else. Secrecy. Now, I'm not talking about hiding things in your life, but having a group of people in your life where they know how you feel and what's going on. Now, Jesus didn't have to confess any sin, but he did confess when he was struggling. He had three men in his life that he could trust. He didn't put it on Facebook, <laughs> right? He didn't pull a friend, like, or, you know, put it. No, he had a, he kept to himself. He kept pretty quiet. This was a, a rhythm of restraint in his life that I want for every person. I, I don't think that we can really serve God the way that he's called us to serve in a crowd. 
that he's really, that I think this, this whole church thing is, 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 is God calls us to be a part of a family and, and to be a part of a community. And there's really no way to do that if, if there's not somebody that knows what's going on in your life. Somebody that you can take the mask off for a moment and be like, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling in this area. This is going on. I, you know, I mean, I think the Catholic Church does this really well. They call it confession, right? But, but somebody in your life, I think it's in James 3, confess your faults one to another. He doesn't say it's got to be a priest or a pastor or the Pope. He just says confess your faults one to another. Why? So that you can be healed. Jesus practiced this with his, with his, with his close friends. He, they knew what was going on in his life. They knew what he was thinking. They knew when he was struggling. And then the last one that we'll, we'll talk about, this will be the week before Palm Sunday, is sacrifice, which you can't see that at all, can you? Whoops. We'll just leave it on the ground. I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody likes sacrifice. Nobody give up anything. But Jesus told his disciples this, and again, he, he called these guys to leave everything. And he didn't force them. He just rolled up on them while they were doing their, doing their jobs. Hey, Peter, I see you're out here fishing, but drop your nets, follow me. I'll make you a fisherman. Didn't make him sign a contract. He just gave him the opportunity. Wasn't forced. He says this in Matthew 19, everybody who's left houses, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And I think the thing about sacrifice, when it comes to sacrifice, is it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of what. Life requires sacrifice. It's the law of sacrifice. You're going to have to give up something. But Jesus encourages us to choose the right one. He says, sacrifice for me. Give up your life for me. And not only will you be rewarded on this side, you'll be rewarded in eternity. I wanted to end with a story, and we're going to pray together. When I was uh, younger, when I was a kid, I really liked baseball. And uh, it was kind of the only sport that a, a runt could play. Okay, I was like, when I say runt, I was 4'11 in the ninth grade. Uh, and so just to give you a little bit of a, uh, it, it was a struggle. And um, yeah, anyways, but I love baseball. And I, 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 I um, got my baseball cards from my mom's house a couple weeks ago. And I collected baseball cards and I just, just liked watching baseball. And my favorite baseball player growing up was Ken Griffey Jr., I don't know if anybody knows who Ken Griffey Jr. is, but he played for the Seattle Mariners and uh, just was an incredible baseball. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame now. Um, and, but I, I, I just I idolized Ken Griffey Jr. I wanted to be like Ken Griffey Jr. It was nothing like Ken Griffey Jr. Let me show you. Can you put that picture up on the f screen uh, from my baseball days? Could y'all tell which one was me? <laughs> That's right, y'all. That's that mess the Milton All-Star team right there. If I could have just used my ears, you know, a little bit to help with the, with, you know, the. But I, I, I wasn't very good at a baseball. And, and, um, but I thought, I, I, you know, if I can get the Ken Griffey Jr. cleats, I can play like Ken Griffey Jr. 
And my mom, I'll, I'll never, she got her income tax check back, and I knew when she got her income tax check back, I could hit her up for something. I said, Mom, there's these shoes, they're King Griffey Jr. cleats, and they come with laces, and I'm pretty sure if I get these cleats, I'll make the team. And my mom took me to the University Mall, which I don't think that exists anymore, and, uh, and we, we went and got these King Griffey Jr. shoes, these cleats, and um, I still sucked at baseball. <laughs> I quit the team ninth grade. I didn't play in high school. I was terrible. I was small, but, but I think growing up, we do this, and sometimes in life we do this. We think, well, if I can wear the stuff that they wear, I can play the way that they play. Like King Griffey Jr. would shake his bat. So I tried shaking my bat. You know, you know what I, what I would hit? Still didn't help, struck out. Couldn't, I mean, it was horrible. But I think we do this in our Christian life. When it comes time to perform, we want to perform the way that Jesus performed, but we don't want to practice the way that Jesus practiced. I wanted to hit like King Griffey Jr. I wanted to field like King Griffey Jr. I bought his shoes. I shook my bat. I wore a gold chain because he wore one too, but it didn't help. And it had nothing to do with his clothes and had nothing to do with what he did during the game. It had everything to do with what he did during practice. I've heard it said practice makes perfect, but it doesn't. Perfect practice makes perfect. And it's the routine, it's the rhythms of an athlete that make them great. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see how he lived. And because if we, want to, if we want to mirror the life of Jesus, we have to adopt his lifestyle. And this was not a boring lifestyle, y'all. I think this is the greatest way that you can live. How many of you, solitude sounds pretty good to you? Right? How many of you don't like to tell your stuff to other people? You don't like airing your business? I mean, these are good things. Surrender. You know, I, I don't want to be in charge of my life. Service. There's nothing better in this life than to give. Harvard has connected. So, I mean, there's crazy studies out that show what, like, what happens in a person's mind and body and soul when they give. These are all beautiful, great things that Jesus invites us into. And when we begin to make this a rhythm and a part of our lives, we're going to begin to play like Ken Griffey Jr. No, we're going to see our life begin to change. I want you to bow your head with me. Father, we thank you so much that you haven't left it up to chance or told us to guess how to live our lives, but you've, you've given us a pattern you invite us into this, you call it the easy yoke. The easy yoke. To watch the way that you lived. To follow your rhythms. And so Lord, I pray over the next several weeks as we study your life. That the Holy Spirit would just begin to work and move inside of our hearts. God, as we dig deep roots. I just pray for areas of people's lives right now that may feel or seem fruitless. Could be a relationship, could be work or school. It just feels like it's hard to do. It's a struggle. I just pray for your life to enter into every area at school, on the job, in our relationships, in our everyday life. You invite us to this, this 
type of living that you call it an easy yoke, carefree, walking with you. Lord, help us to keep in step with you. We thank you so much. Let me give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.